Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Our approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, we've got some hard data to get our teeth into today from the Office for National Statistics, uh, which is interesting, showing that England and Wales registered 6,213 coronavirus-related deaths in the past week. So that's a cumulative total. Uh, At the same time, uh, frontline staff and unions, of course, say there's an acute shortage of personal protection equipment in hospitals. We've heard that before, of course, with the TUC's Francis O'Grady saying the government's story keeps changing. We know there is this RAF flight that has gone to Turkey to try and pick up some more of that sort of equipment. But the Minister for Local Government, Simon Clark, says the NHS, quote, will not run out of PPE. Making sure that it gets to the front line We recognise that the margins can be tight, but we are confident that we can keep supplying everybody with what they need. And at the same time, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, coming under fire for number 10 amid reports that the government is failing to meet its promise to test 100,000 people a day. But Shadow Health Minister Alex Norris told Bloomberg earlier on that the government's scrutiny is likely to intensify as Parliament reopens today. We've seen very concerning reports over the weekend about the slowness, and we've said as an opposition at all times, we're supporting the government, we want them to succeed, but we have been concerned that they have been slow in some of their activities and that we're starting to see the impact of that. Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Charlotte Nichols, who's Labour MP for Warrington North. Charlotte, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Uh, let me ask you, first of all, we, we understand now that the Prime Minister is hesitant about relaxing the lockdown. The Prime Minister himself, of course, still recovering from a bout of the virus. Um, Is he right that there should be more caution about when you let up in case uh, you let slip uh, a second wave of the virus? I think it's absolutely right that we follow the evidence and make sure that we're easing these restrictions at the right time in a way that doesn't increase the risk of a second wave of the coronavirus. I think what the government is missing is a strategy that spells out, not necessarily with the date, but what the actual strategy is for how we will come out the other side of this. Because it's all well and good to the country being locked down, but we need to know what the plan is because you can't just lock the country down indefinitely. The response from the from the government, I imagine, would be that this is an unprecedented situation. Unprecedented situation. Uh, we, we don't know how this is going to play out, and so we will need to react at the time. Absolutely. And as I said, you know, we really need to be following the evidence. But the point of locking the country down is to suppress the spread of the virus and to make sure that we're, you know, 
getting the testing available, getting the vaccines available that mean that, you know, there is a sort of light at the end of the tunnel of this. If the government isn't doing that, and to be honest, some of the signs that we've been seeing aren't very encouraging, then, you know, this could be something that goes on for months. And I don't think that anyone wants that. Now, Charlotte, I mean, we talk about light at the end of the tunnel. There might be darkness at the end of the tunnel in terms of the debt that the country is running up uh, as a result of what it's doing to try to keep the economy going, to try and keep people supplied with money at times when they don't have work. We know all that's going on. But the amount of debt people are now saying is will put the country in the worse position financially than it's been since World War Two. So what's the answer with that? I mean, do you do you just spend and say, well, someone will pay some time? Or do you actually have to have a dose of austerity potentially in the future? I mean, I think that We've seen that austerity has been one of the factors that's meant that this crisis has been as bad as it is. You know, there were companies, for example, that were subsidised by the government, including Remploy, who used to produce PPE and, um, you know, hospital gowns and things like this in this country. We used to have that manufacturing capability and capacity. And because of austerity, we closed them down. So actually, this is a crisis that's been exacerbated by austerity. So I don't think that the answer to it is more austerity. I think what we really need to look to be doing is to be refocusing our economy back towards sectors like manufacturing and away from kind of speculative financial markets and so on, which our economy has been really heavily weighted in favour of over the last few decades. The finance industry, that... the service industry, is actually part of the problem, whereas many people see it's, in the modern economy, part of the solution. Of course. You know, I'm not saying that we can't have financial services as part of our economy, but the fact is that this crisis has really shown up the fact that the key workers in this country are the people in retail, in the supply chain, in manufacturing, and so on. They're what we need more of as a country, and less of you know, speculating on the international markets, which doesn't necessarily provide jobs. Do you think that voters are going to be open to the idea of more spending, given that that's what Labour's been promising largely for the last decade, and it doesn't really seem to have clung on? I don't think that it was Labour's policies around spending which were unpopular. Obviously, there's a number of reasons why Labour's been in decline over the last sort of decade or so, obviously the last time we won an election was 2005. But I think that there is no way out of this that doesn't include more spending. And actually, you're seeing other countries that are, you know, comparable to ours spending far vaster sums of money and targeting it in much more effective ways than we're doing at the moment. Sure, an interesting position as far as uh, government and parliament is concerned at the moment. Parliament is resuming uh, today. Uh, in some form. Uh, are you going to be in Parliament? Are you going to join in with what's going on? How is it going to work for you? So at half past two, we'll be having um, the debate around what this sort of hybrid Parliament might look like and laying out the framework for that. Now, the Labour Party isn't going to be opposing the proposals that have come forward, which are probably you know, the most workable thing we've got in what are really unprecedented times. But it's clear that it's not going to be a replacement for, you know, the normal functioning of Parliament. But we really need a way to keep holding the executive to account at the moment. 
And I think that, you know, it's up to MPs of all parties to follow the advice that we're asking the rest of the country to follow, which is to stay at home as far as possible. And today's proceedings will hopefully make it possible for MPs to do that whilst also carrying out their roles within Parliament. Do you think this is necessarily the best setup that you've been given by the, the House of Commons and the Speaker, etc.? We had the Hansard Society on a few days ago and they were advocating for a fully virtual system. They raised a lot of issues around MPs being in the chamber, not least around voting, uh, but also around sort of social distancing and health reasons as well. Yeah, and I mean, I think that MPs of all parties are being encouraged to stay at home as far as possible. I would prefer a fully virtual parliament for those reasons. But I think that until we've got the sort of framework agreed and set up, which is hopefully going to happen this afternoon, that's not even a possibility because, you know, constitutionally things have been set up the way they are for, you know, hundreds of years now. And to try and unpick that is very complex. And what will you, Charlotte Nichols, be doing? Will you be sitting in your kitchen or your your, your room somewhere with a, a laptop? How are you going to take part? Uh, so, yeah, I'll be taking part on my iPad. For some reason, Zoom doesn't seem to work on my Parliament laptop, um, which doesn't necessarily bode very well. But, um, <laughs> yeah, sort of try and get a good spot by the back door, bit of natural light and stuff. Um, I've been getting a lot of practice over the last couple of weeks, obviously. Most of our meetings are on of zoom or skype for business at the moment so i'm hoping that there'll be as few technical glitches as possible when we get the digital parliament up and running uh Charlie, what about labor you've got this huge row playing out over the leaked report uh, a time when keir starmer clearly trying to unify the party but doesn't this show you're still at war with yourselves where is this going to end i think most people in the labor party's priority is you know, the much bigger question of what's happening in the country at the moment. Obviously, the report has raised a number of really important questions around party culture in particular and sort of how some of our bureaucracy functions. But I think that, you know, Angela Rayner and Keir were right to say that it was going to have a proper inquiry that would be looked into because, you know, we can't keep going on as a party that you know, almost the longer we're in opposition, the more we turn in on ourselves and sort of fight each other. We've got to be, you know, much more outward facing than we have been for, you know, as long as I've been a member, really. But isn't, isn't that the problem, though, Charlotte? Because to the outside world, and certainly reading the papers over the weekend, the sense was this is Labour turning on itself. When it, when it does this inquiry, there'll be fights going on, there'll be people accused of being disloyal and and people will say well hang on that is really not the way it should be wouldn't it be better to kick things like an inquiry into the long grass maybe you know after all this is over i think you've got to have the inquiry to draw a line under it all to be honest and some of these issues have been you know festering for a long time and obviously a lot of the things referred to in the report were sort of historical allegations and things that have happened with you know staff members that are no longer employed by the party. But I think in order for Labour to move forward and to be an effective opposition, there does need to be some cultural changes in the way that we function as a party. And, you know, the best way to do that is to get an inquiry, you know, get it sorted as quickly as possible and as efficiently as possible and draw a line under this issue so we can all move forward together.
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Where are we starting, Roger? Well, we're starting with unemployment. It's pretty grim. The economic toll of the virus pandemic has been laid bare this morning after data showed a surge in UK jobless claims last month. The unemployment rate also rose to 4%. That's worse than estimated in a sign of the further losses that had come uh, from this pandemic and its effect on the economy. Uh, the government borrowing as well could top £300 billion this year. It's according to the Centre for Policy Studies. This is tax receipts collapse. The Treasury pumps money into the economy to tackle the fallout from coronavirus. It could be by far the biggest budget deficit since World War II, even higher than an estimate made last week by the Office for Budget Responsibility. The CPS's updated forecasts include estimates from other organisations in places where the OBR didn't attach numbers to schemes as well as newly announced spending. So a lot of grim reading. And of course the vexed question, should we or should we not? I'm talking about masks. NHS supplies of face masks could be put at risk, apparently, if the government starts advising the public to wear them. The NHS provider's chief executive, Chris Hobson, is warning there should be clear evidence to justify the use. The World Health Organization said there's no evidence to support the use of face masks by the general population, but the debate around their use in the UK has been gaining momentum in recent weeks. Uh, the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has in fact called for masks to be worn for, by people travelling in the city. And you see, certainly see people taking this decision into their own hands. It's quite eerie noticing you're the only one without a face mask when you're out getting your essentials in. But uh, let's move it on. Home Secretary Priti Patel getting sued by former senior civil servant Philip Russom, who alleges that her bullying led to his departure. The former permanent secretary at the department responsible for policing and counterterrorism cites a vicious and orchestrated campaign against him. But Patel has denied the allegations that she berated civil servants and isn't trusted by the country's my five security service the government spokesman declined to comment on news of the lawsuit so that story rolls on and on yeah it is going to be i think a severe embarrassment to the government when it finally comes to taking evidence but let's have a think about the lockdown which is likely to continue for the foreseeable future the prime minister boris johnson although he's convalescing and not technically uh, running the show on a day-to-day basis is said to be concerned about a second wave of infections it raises the question of how long we can expect the public to remain compliant what that means for policing the measures, particularly as forecasts suggest more good weather up ahead and the attractions of going outside. Well, for more, we're pleased to be joined by Julia Mulligan, who's Police, Fire and Crime Commissioner for North Yorkshire. Julia, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Um, let me just ask, as a general picture, how easy are you finding it and the people that you organise finding it to enforce government lockdown regulations? 
So I think what we're starting to see now is really good um, adherence to the to the regulations and the rules. So, you know, it was um, a little bit concerning in the run up to Easter. We, uh, you know, had seen quite a lot of movements. Uh, on the Friday, but that settled down. And across the country, we are seeing the vast majority of people, thankfully, following the government's advice and and staying at home. So um, I'd I'd like to thank everybody for that because it is not easy. Are you getting clear enough guidance from the government around what is and what isn't allowed? I I mean, if you look at legislation, it's quite open-ended. The examples it gives are are, are non-exhaustive, so it's not exactly clear uh, what what can be done. And that really leaves it to you to interpret that. Do you you find that easy enough? So I think, you know, there was um, there's there've been some issues and I'm sure there will be continue to be some issues. Um, but um, individual police officers will look at each um, situation that they encounter. They will make an assessment and they will act on that. So there will be very obvious um, uh, flouting of the rules. So if somebody's, uh, we had, for example, some people, four, four men drive up from London to buy some car parts uh, last week. Um, and that clearly is not a, an essential journey. And they were given a ticket. Um, but there are, you know, other people that, you know, where it's, it's really difficult. I mean, if you're sat on a bench in a local park and the officer comes along to ask you to move along, and that can be really hard to, to understand. So, you know, it, it, officers are applying their, their judgment uh, and, um, uh, and just really trying to keep the spirit of all of this. And that is to encourage people to stay home so we can save lives. But how are you finding people like like the ones you mentioned who come up to buy car parts? Are you, are you doing spot checks or are they making themselves known in other ways? Well, of course, the roads are quite empty at the moment. So um, it is relatively easy for the police to sort of uh, see people. And indeed, you know, criminals that are using the roads, you know, are likely to be picked up on things like the automated n- uh, number plate recognition uh, software and all of that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, the road network is, is, is empty largely. Um, uh, and people do tend to stand out like a sore thumb if they are doing something illegal. Um, it, 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 you know, it's members of the public who are going about their business under the guidelines where I think we've got, uh, you know, some confusion sometimes. But, but largely it is, it is working now. Um, yeah, but we, you, we did see some... No, go on. I was just going to say, Judy, I mean, you mentioned there almost in the same breath, ordinary members of the public and, quote, criminals and own criminals but isn't there a problem here that that you risk criminalizing people uh who normally would not consider themselves to be anything like that i mean have you handed out a lot of fines have you made a lot of arrests uh so in north yorkshire there have been uh just nearly 300 fines issued uh and and last week i think it was nationally around 3000 so um you know police forces are issuing fixed penalty notices these are tickets so it's a fine, so you're not being criminalised. Um, but of course, if you don't pay the fine, and then you go to court and you're found um, in breach of that, then that is a more serious uh, issue. Um, so um, you know, the, 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 the police are trying to apply their judgment to all of this, um, but the guidelines, you know, can't legislate for every single set of circumstances, and the police do need to, to assess each individual situation. Um, and sometimes, you know, that that can be. Um, you know, uh, can lead to, to questions being asked, and quite quite rightly. Uh, and what about the impact on the other emergency service aspects that you oversee? Has there been a bigger burden from the virus? Only anecdotally speaking, I seem to see sirens and emergency service vehicles passing my flat every day now. 
Yeah, so um, interestingly, the closure of household uh, recycling sites and tips uh, seems to have caused uh, an additional surge in sort of bonfires, uh, which the fire service uh, are having to deal with. So that, that, you know, people really shouldn't be burning burning their rubbish, and that, that is a bit of an issue. Um, and also, um, firefighters have been trained up in many areas to drive ambulances, um, so uh, to help the ambulance service out to make sure that they can get people to the Nightingale Hospital, for example. Um, and uh, the fire service um, are uh, helping deliver prescriptions uh, and food parcels uh, to vulnerable people in our communities as well. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, additional activity going on um, but of course, you know things like crime are, are down. So, um, well, well, Julia, can you I know, pick pick you up? Picture. Can I pick you up on that? Well, you just talked about crime. I was about to ask about that. You say crime is down, but isn't there a potential distortion because perhaps your officers are too busy dealing with these other things to actually take on board uh, the crime or to pursue criminals in the way they normally would? No, that's not happening at all. And um, we know from the calls coming into the force control rooms exactly what is going on. And actually, there are plenty of police officers to deal with uh, business as usual types of crime. Um, and um, if you look across the, the whole of the country, um, there are not high sickness rates in police forces across the country. And forces are largely very well staffed. So there, is, there isn't an issue with that at all. We are seeing genuine uh, decreases in crime. So overall, crime fell uh, by 28% in comparison to last year. And things like um, uh, burglary, for example, is down by 37%. So that's, you know, logical because we're all at home, aren't we? So it makes life a lot more difficult for burglars. Um, but uh, uh, And shoplifting, for example, is down by 54% because a lot of shops are closed. So, you know, we these are genuine reductions. There are some areas where we have concerns um, and uh, we may be starting to see increases, so domestic abuse, for example. Um, but clearly the, there is a changing picture of crime uh, uh, that has been impacted by this, this virus. And what about the resources you're getting from politicians? Do you think they're giving you enough here? So we've seen additional resources for uh, things like sort of uh, PPE, so the Home Office is committed to underwrite um, the procurement of uh, that essential equipment for police forces um, and uh, for the fire service we have had some additional funding. Um, we've got some concerns around the level of the funding for the fire and rescue service so those areas with Nightingale uh, hospitals for example are having to provide dedicated uh, fire engines uh, to look after them and that has a cost and that isn't being met by central government yet. So there are some areas where we have concerns and we have particular concerns around accommodation for domestic abuse survivors um, where there is a real pinch around follow on on accommodation for them. And we are not happy with the way that the government is responding to that at the moment. Julia, finally, a question really about the whole concept of policing, which in this country is policing by consent. I mean, briefly, do you see a point coming perhaps where most people feel, no, no, this is too much. We've been cooped up too long. We have a right to be outside. And the police seem to have to deal with what the politicians are telling them to do without that really fitting into that paradigm. Yeah, I think I think that's a real concern um, around, um, you know, our relationship with the police is really important. We in this country have um, a very sort of community based policing style uh, and that's based on engagement rather than um, enforcement in these COVID uh, times. And I think the police are really conscious 
of, of, of that sort of fine line that they need to tread. And um, certainly um, we need to keep that trust in the police going. Um, and I think that's one of the principal reasons why the police are really focusing um, on having yeah. enforcement as the last resort uh, and trying to develop and maintain that community uh, style yeah. that's really, really important. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.